It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Gotta love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected, and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it, and follow me on Instagram at ShallonXO, and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Welcome back to the podcast, Shalloners. All right, let's get our head in the space to receive the message. Let's get comfy. Let's sit in a comfy chair. Let's take off that bra. Why are you wearing bras at this point during the quarantine anyway? I hope you are not. I have not worn a bra in a month. Not going back. Never going back. So we're going to take a deep breath and we're going to hold for a few seconds. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. And picture your jaw relaxing. One more time. In through the nose. And out through the mouth. Do this as needed during the day. It's weird how effective it is to just pause and breathe. And when people tell you to do that, you're like, okay, Gary, I'll just pause and breathe. But then you do it and you're like, oh, I get it. Sometimes we just keep ourselves so manic kind of and so busy, our brain literally is deprived of oxygen and water. I'm starting to see in this quarantine how dehydrated I am. And after I do a video or even these podcasts, like I can feel my brain throbbing. It's like I have a concussion. And truly it's because I'm just... I'm dehydrated. And I know you guys are in a similar state. Like with whatever it is you're stressing about, it dehydrates you. So the point of this podcast is not to drink water, but also drink water. So we're going to get started with a girl who is wondering what to wear to get back a boyfriend. Yep. Where? Okay. So she said, I dated a guy for a little over a month earlier this year. Things were going well and he was attentive and he seemed interested in getting to know me and stuff. He got me a Valentine's Day gift and stuff. But then right after Valentine's Day, he ended things with no explanation. I saw your video about Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston, and I'm sure I will run into him after this corona thing dies down because we go to the same bar and I want to get him back. Like, I'm just going to say it. But what should I wear? He liked to see me in tight jeans. I got a good butt. And form-fitting tops. But I don't want to look too casual or trashy. I really want to blow him away. All right. So honestly, and I'm not, this is not just a cliche, the best thing to wear is a smile. Because then when he sees you, he won't necessarily look at your outfit. He's going to look at your vibe. And that's why we wear clothes, right? To give off a certain vibe or impression or assumption about us, right? Clothes, one of my friends said, oh, Stacey London, who does what not to wear. She's obviously like the fashion maven. She's like, clothes tell the world how to treat you. I was like, oh my God, that's so true. She's like, think about how people treat a homeless person based, you assess them based on their outfit, you know, and a high fashion bitch, like you assess her. So 
Clothes can work against us, though. You know, they can give off a vibe that we don't necessarily want. So we have to be judicious about what we wear in situations like this. So if you're smiling and you're beaming, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm in love with my life through your smile and through your body language, which shoulders back, chin up, posture relaxed, laughing and smiling. Or are you giving off a nervous, anxious, bitter, emo vibe? If you see him and you feel yourself getting tense and anxious, oh, what are we going back to? Breathe. Roll your shoulders back. One good posture tip is you know your shoulders are rolled forward and you're like hunched over and slouching. If you're, if you're, when you're standing up and your arms are at your side, if your thumbs touch your thighs, your thumbs should be facing forward, pointing the direction you're walking. That's when you know your posture is aligned. So when you can do that, like always check your hands and then roll your shoulders back, it is going to give off a completely different vibe. You also want to loosen your jaw, like we always say. Pause reset. If you have to excuse yourself and go to the bathroom, if you have to go out to the parking lot and just like like shake it out, roll it back, lift that chin, do it. You want to look absolutely comfortable in your own skin without him. As for the outfit, you know, my theory is the trendiest girl in the room is always the weakest. One of my most fashionable friends was single for the longest and I truly, and she's like, so beautiful and so smart and like so low-key but she's a very very high fashion person and I think it scared guys away like again it tells the world how to treat you and what assumptions they should make about you and I think the assumption was like she's going to be judgmental because she's so high fashion I'm in this t-shirt how can I just talk to her like she's going to call me a clown and a slob or whatever and I mean she's not like that at all so she'd always be like I don't know guys never approach me and I'm like go to the bars in jeans and a tee like take the jewelry off. I mean, do your hair, do your makeup, but like really dial it down. And it did kind of work, you know? So the trendiest girl in the room a lot of times is the weakest. Now, this was not my friend because she wasn't trendy. She was fashionable. Big difference. She didn't follow trends. Truly, she made them. But the trendy girl is the girl who can't just be. She's got to be doing the most because she feels the least. You know what I mean? If I know I'm going to see an ex, I wear a very casual outfit, but something tight in my good areas. I got a butt too, so I wear leggings and a shorter shirt that shows it off. But I make sure my hair and my makeup is popping, not over the top, but like hair down, soft, blown out, soft waves. So it's like, oh, her hair looks good, but it doesn't look like I just got it done, done. You know, like I'm not just jacked up to Jesus with the hairspray and the Texas thing. Although I do love that look. And I make sure my face is put together. Glossy lips, always glossy. Because do you know why? Because wet lips remind men biologically of wet lips. You know what I'm talking about, ladies? I think you do. So I never go matte. I always go gloss. And then that, like the pop and hair and makeup with a casual outfit is like, Oh, I'm not even thinking about impressing you or anyone. I'm just here enjoying myself at this bar. And I just happened to look flawless. I don't know. It's just like, I don't know. It just kind of happened, right? Overall, though, a favorite outfit dudes love, I will tell you, is a little black dress. They love a little black dress. They love black lingerie. They love black. I think because it's like, I don't know. They've like grown up thinking it's like sexy and naughty. I'm not sure. Or jeans and a tank top because it shows your body it shows it shows you off but truly like 
wear what you feel your best in. And if your best outfit is like a bandage dress and heel, okay, then wear that. If your best outfit, if you truly feel like your best self and you know you're going to feel the most comfortable in like sweats, then wear that, but do the hair and the makeup, right? And most importantly, make sure you're wearing shoes you can walk in. If you're not a heels person, don't wear heels. I'm actually not a flats person. I hate flats. Like if I go out and I'm in flats, I feel like an alligator, a shalligator. I just feel like I'm slithering and waddling around like I have to be in some sort of heel. And even if it's not like it doesn't make sense for the event, I don't care. I feel better. So I do it because I'm going to be my best self, even if it means I'm five inches taller than everyone. That's fine. I can see. I can see what's coming. I can see where the buffet table is. (laughs) So to recap, big smile, tight outfit that shows your body, but nothing too trendy and pop and hair and makeup. And girl, you're going to make him regret his whole life. This next question is honestly kind of disturbing, but I feel like we need to cover it because it's important. So Ashlyn said, I think my fiance is a creep and I'm heartbroken. And I read that. I was like, oh, you know, creep who, you know, dudes are creeps. Oh, no, 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 no. She said a couple months ago, I found my fiance videotaping our neighbor changing. He used his phone and a monocular, a fucking monocular. Yesterday, I found pictures of a different neighbor, not naked, but she was just sitting there on her balcony. I went through his phone and saw that he had sent pictures to himself from my phone of my sister. None of them were inappropriate, but some were of her in changing room, since she and I try on clothes and send to each other before we buy stuff, you know, as people do. He says he was just looking for pictures for the wedding album, but I'm scared and I'm devastated. I told him I want to call off the wedding. Do you agree? Holy fucking shit. A monocular. What kind of asshole even Googles monocular? Think about it. It's crazy. So, girl, you need to run. It is a proven fact that almost all rapists start out as peeping Toms, right? Peeping Tom. Like, we, it's like, oh, peeping Tom. It's like this kitschy little 60s phrase. We're going to watch the game shows and talk about peeping Toms. It's not fucking funny. It's a cute name for an extremely dangerous pathology. And you know what? Let's say most rapists don't. It doesn't matter. It's not, it's not healthy. But it is true that serial killers many times have this in common. Crimes escalate. And sexual crimes and violence against women very often start out in this category and something that just seems innocuous or not even necessarily illegal right? It's not, there are so many crimes against women that aren't even crimes. Do you know that the Violence Against Women Act, do you get, take a guess when that was signed into law. You probably want to say like 1830, 1920, 1994. 1994. That people were like, oh, wait a minute. Women and the violence. I don't know. I don't, huh. So, We have to look out for ourselves. We can't always rely on the law or we can't default to, well, it's not illegal or, well, it's not technically a personality disorder. Who gives a shit? There's a lot of dead girls who've said that, right? Crimes escalate and they go to a very dangerous and ugly place if they haven't already. And this is important. This is simply what you've caught him doing. You don't know what you haven't caught him doing. And I know that's a frightening thing to hear, but it's an even more frightening reality to live. You do not want this person near your family or your sister. And you're absolutely right to not buy his scary and pathetic excuses because they are just that. They're complete lies. You're smart enough to see the writing on the wall. Do not ignore it. 
You could literally put your life in danger or the life of your sister or even the lives of other women. Like this person needs to be reported. Just because we're getting away from the problem doesn't mean it's no longer a problem. And we're not about to throw women at large to the wolves when we knew and we could have done something, right? So fuck what people say. Fuck being embarrassed to call it off. Fuck the money you lose. Fuck it. Truly. Hey, girl, I know how hard it is to maybe call off a wedding. It's not like it is in a Hallmark movie. It's like, we decided not to. It is, it's catastrophic. It's like you're trying to stop a freight train that's out of control. Like, but you can stop it and you have to. Nothing is more important than your safety and your sanity. Nothing. You're absolutely doing the right thing. I promise you. Get an appointment for a therapist, even a teledoc that you can just text with. I think I do an ad about these things later in the episode. And true, I use them too. And they're awesome. And ask their opinion as a medical professional, you know, be like, hey, what what do you think this behavior adds up to? I promise you they're going to tell you what I'm telling you. People like him don't get better. They get worse. You need to save yourself. Annabelle sent this next question, and she titled it, Douchebag or Just Honest? She said, my boyfriend makes comments about other girls being hot and that he preferred blonde hair and blue eyes, and I'm a brunette. These comments have continued throughout our relationship about me not having big boobs, reiterating that he has a soft spot for blondes, and recommended I bleach my hair a little bit. There was a comment about how if it wasn't inappropriate to date his boss, he would, but he didn't think he had a shot with her and that her personality was awesome. I was like... Okay, so you're just settling for me then? And I left. When I confronted him, he always says, I like you for you. I'm just being honest. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hate people like this. I hate people like this. So I'm not someone who gives people a pass to be a dick just because they're being honest. And I know that might sound counterintuitive because I'm a pretty brutally honest person. But if you're going to say something that's like stinging, it should have some sort of like relevant call to action after it. It's like, look, baby girl, he doesn't like you, but you deserve to be liked and you're wonderful. And here's how you can get over him. I mean, hopefully I do that. I'm not just like, he doesn't like you. Bye. (laughs) That's pretty awful. And this guy sounds completely honest. First of all, who the fuck asked him to be honest, right? And secondly, honesty implies fact. He's speaking opinion. And while we're talking opinions, Mine is that he's a disrespectful turd who says these things purposely to keep you off kilter and so that you have no power in the relationship. We all have celebrity crushes, right? But we don't make our partners feel inferior because they're not Jason Momoa. Oh, you again, Kyle. I see you're still not a Hawaiian sex god. Thanks for fucking nothing. What were you in the kitchen doing? Making a sandwich? I asked you to do the haka dance and you can't. We don't say that. That would be cruel. It would be hateful. And to dress up that cruelty as honesty is gaslighting at its finest, which makes it more hateful and intolerable because he's not even, he's acting like he's walking in the light of this truth. And it's like, hey, I'm just being honest. No, you're not. You're being mean. And then you're telling the person you're hurting that she has no right to be hurt by it. I would not stay in this relationship. To me, this is verbal abuse because it's designed to hurt you and control you the same way a slap in the face is. What's really the difference? Honestly, I'd rather get slapped in the face because I would then know, okay, I'm with an abusive person. Someone does shit like this and they're like, I'm being honest. You're the one with the problem. I've had a boyfriend hit me in the face and never at any point did I think maybe I hit him. I knew I was the victim and you're the victim too. Your partner is supposed to be your biggest fan, your emotional soft place to fall. And 
in my last relationships, even though they crashed and burned, never, ever did my partner make me feel like I was not enough. Never. They didn't say it. They didn't undercut me. They didn't cut down my dreams. They didn't make fun of me when I was wounded. They didn't do it. Like, and that's part of the reason you stay in a healthy relationship because, I mean, that's, that's healthy. That's how it should be. This person keeps you on eggshells because you're not quite sure what he's going to say next to poke that emotional underbelly. And for me, stuff like that's an absolute deal breaker. And I think if you choose to stay with him, you're going to have to look at the fact that we know what's wrong with him, but what's wrong with you, right? What are you saying to yourself to make this behavior okay? Is he justifying how you actually feel about yourself internally? I, You're right. I'm not good enough. I'm worthless. This and that. So you sickly sort of like being treated this way. It, it scratches that psychological itch, right? We talk about psychological itches a lot. And they can be good or they can be bad. They can be bad like this. Like, hey, I have no value. I need someone to show me that I have no value because that's my dominant thought. And confirmation bias, psychological principle, says that I need to be right. So if I think I have no value, I got to find situations and people who validate that because I want to be right more than anything. Isn't that twisted? Or a psychological itch can be positive. I have this itch to be special. I have an itch to achieve, even if it's like driven by revenge. I have an itch to accomplish things. And I am going to pull myself towards situations and people who tell me that I can do it, who validate my positive traits, who encourage me, who make me the best person, even if it's not always a fun process. Overall, I'm getting where I need to be, right? So look, if the answer to that, though, is no, no, I don't feel like I deserve to be treated like this, hopefully the answer is no, then it's time to get out. And if the answer is yes, I do deserve, I do kind of sort of this validates how I feel about myself. It is still time to get out and work on your own self-esteem so that this kind of rhetoric becomes not only so foreign to you, it becomes intolerable. We can reframe our psychological itches, but it takes work and it takes disengaging from the thing that's trying to scratch us in the first place. Courtney had this next question, and I know it's a question you guys are kind of mulling over too. How to set the right pace for talking online to a guy you might be interested in during this quarantine. So she said, hey, girl, so I've been on the apps, but so far most conversations are dry, like no one's making an effort. And then there's this guy who I met in passing a few times, and I could sense that there was this mutual attraction. And this week I saw him post something on his Instagram story. I commented, TLDR. My question turned into like a three-day streak in the DMs where we were exchanging paragraphs once a day, and the convo was really engaging. And so it's a good way to get to know each other, but I also want to set the right pace where this doesn't turn into a chore, like the overtalk trap for girls, you know, and we can take this offline and into IRL and in person once this quarantine is lifted and we go back to normal. So yes, this is like an excellent question. And I, this is why I'm not on Tinder at this particular moment is because I do feel like the conversation is going to be so dry because it's like, okay, we connect, we might like each other. Now what? We can't, you know, like we can't meet up. And you can like someone over text and you can like all their pictures. They could have a thousand pictures. You can think you know what they look like and what the chemistry is going to be like, but you just don't until you see each other IRL. And since there's no end date to this, it's like, it just seems futile. I wish they could at least tell us it's like, it is now safe. No, not to leave your homes, to go on Tinder. You can start swiping because I promise you by the time you get to know someone, you will be able to see them in real life and lick them as many times and places as you want. That would be nice. 
So with this situation, though, you know my motto, what you permit, you promote. If you allow a DM-only relationship, that's what you're going to get. It's time to move this to texting and then like very swiftly out of texting to calls and to FaceTimes. And if he doesn't want to do that, that's your answer. He was just out, consciously or not, for an emotional fidget spinner. And that's okay, but let him spin someone else. Let him make someone else dizzy. You don't need to get dizzy. Tell him, hey, I'm trying to spend less time on Insta and just mindlessly scrolling, but give me a call tomorrow if you want. I'm free after seven. Not pushy. Puts it out there. And like, if he balks or doesn't do it or just keeps on DMing, leave his ass on red. Don't permit. Don't promote. It's better to weed this person out up front rather than getting down a dead end road. You know what I mean? And then, like, even if you guys do move it to that other medium, don't be too available. I know that it's easy to be like, but I am available. I have nothing to do. He doesn't need to know that. Not everybody is bored in quarantine. I'm busy as fuck. Like, I'm killing myself. <laughs> but, but like, I truly don't have a lot of time. And he doesn't know that you don't either. You are a busy alpha female. You are a hard girl to get. And if you don't have much to say, like, again, who really does these days, tell yourself you have a one reply, like a one text reply, or a 15-minute call limit. 10 minutes, five minutes, you know? The worst thing is, just like you said, overtalk. Like, either it's a chore or you're kind of, like, doing the fun part of a relationship up front and too soon, you know, you're telling all of your stories, you're going through all of this stuff. And it's like, you want to do that IRL because you don't really, really know this person. I mean, I know that you've met him in real life, so that's definitely good. You can at least see that there's an attraction, but you still need to save some stuff for actual dating because you're not going to walk out of this quarantine into a serious relationship. At least you shouldn't. That's skipping some steps. And it's just, it doesn't make for a solid foundation. Like when you skip steps in building a house, you kind of got to do it in the right order. So it's okay to keep him wanting more and to keep him on his toes, knowing he has to bring some conversation to the table. If there's lulls in the conversation, stop replying. Get off the phone. If he doesn't have anything to add besides, oh, yeah, bored, so bored. It's like bored people are boring. I don't want to talk to someone who's bored. There's a million things that we could be doing. There's a million articles we could be reading online about classical music, how to paint your tone, a billion things. We could be learning things. And if he can't come up with anything to say, you know, you don't have to sit there and tap dance to try to fill the silences. Let him work for you. Our last question comes from Jesse, And her title is Insecurities with Not Being a Good Student in High School. She says, I went through high school with my dad being low-key mentally and a little bit physically abusive, but deep down inside, I know I could have still gotten really good grades if I had just left him alone and sat in my room and studied. This permeates everything I do now. I try to win debates. I try to read and digest educational documentaries. I know life moves on, but I can't help but hate myself because I know I'm above average in intellect. Both my parents are doctors. And when I see other people doing better, when I know I'm smarter, it depresses me. And more often than not, it discourages me from even trying. Help, I love you. Well, I love you too, goddammit. So look, there's nothing worse than someone who has an intellectual chip on their shoulder. It makes people mean and basically intolerable at parties. And we actually see this a lot in celebrities. Like celebrities who, yeah, like they don't feel smart enough. Like Jessica Simpson was kind of like this. Like she had a chip on her shoulder about being the dumb blonde. And I think that's why she dated John Mayer. Same with Katy Perry. Katy Perry has a real chip on her shoulder about her lack of education and her like 
zealous Christian family. Like, do you know they couldn't even say the word deviled eggs? They had to say angeled eggs. So bizarre. I mean, grow up. And so she also dated John Mayer, who is extremely intelligent. Yeah, I'll probably marry him someday. I've talked about that. Very intelligent person. And it's like they wanted to be aligned with someone smart, but in a way it kind of made them feel dumber. And he also is just sort of awful. Anyway, you definitely want to get a grip on this issue because like you said, you are smart. So from my point of view, what are you worried about? Intelligence shines through always, but so does bitterness. And instead of using your past to be bitter, use it to be better. You can't change what happened, but you can change what it meant. First of all, accept that you were a child. Girl, you were a child, baby. Hindsight is twenty twenty. You did what you had to do to survive, and you were plain and simple manipulated by an abusive person. It's easy to say what you should have done, shoulda, woulda, coulda, but remember that you did do what you should have done. You survived. But you are done merely surviving. It's time to thrive. And that means going back to school, or if you did go to school, sink your teeth into a career that is really fulfilling to you. Not just, oh, it looks good on paper, it has clout, blah, blah, blah. Something that makes you light up inside, utilizes your intellect, and makes you say, this is what I was put here to do. And maybe that's not being a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or these like prestigious intellectual careers that, you know, look amazing on paper. The most impressive people are not the ones who went to Princeton. They're the ones who are happy. That's true success. And let me tell you something. It's honestly rare. You grow up, you get out in the world. I was shocked at how many unhappy people there are. I would say, honestly, the majority, for sure. Like, oh, you know, I love my husband. I'm happy with my life. But it's like, are you happy? Like, are you fulfilled? Do you wake up and you go to your job and you're like, this is what I was put on this earth to do. I am making a difference. I am giving back. I am utilizing my mind, my body, everything. If that's what you want. Like, whatever that it is, whatever that psychological itch is, are you scratching it in that healthy way? A lot of people don't, you know, because they're fucking terrified of looking at what they want and not just looking at it. They're terrified of going after it because then what if they don't get it? Okay, at least you tried. Do you know how many things I've failed at? How many things I have tried to do and I've just failed? I have failed at doing the live streams for you guys every single day. Physically, I can't handle it. Like the neural load of doing a video every day and answering your questions. I get hundreds and doing a live stream, like my my brain simply can't take it. And I feel like a big old failure. But I'm like, you know what? I tried and I learned. I learned, okay, that's too much for me. I learned that, like I said in the beginning, maybe I need to stay more hydrated and I need to be better physically and then I can achieve what I want to achieve. It's all just data. So look at what makes you happy. Get into some therapy and work through this trauma, right? Because every day you stay with this chip on your shoulder, you relive the trauma and you feed it. It's ended. But, and we look at that with so much trauma. It's like someone hit us, someone said something mean to us, someone bullied us for actually a very finite amount of time. And if truly we added up, like how much time that trauma was, like in minutes, like how many minutes did people spend bullying you in high school? But how long have you spent reliving this and feeding this? Who's keeping it going? You are. And I know, hey, hey, I know what you're feeling. You're feeling very annoyed and this is unfair. I'm not I'm not the perpetrator. I'm the victim. Girl, girl do I get that? Man, do I get that? But at some point, 
We become our own perpetrator. We keep perpetrating this crime against ourselves because we don't want to look it in the face. But just because we're not looking at something in the face doesn't mean we're not looking at it at all. It's still in our peripheral vision. And just like something's in your actual peripheral vision, you're like, ha, ah, is that a bird? What is that? And you're constantly like dodging it. That's how psychology goes. That's how our traumas and our past goes. And once we can turn and, and just face it and get it out of our way completely, we can really start to move on. You have suffered enough. Now it's time to embrace your best self. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Chalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage. Stay savage.